So when we hear people complaining, bewailing the fact that the artificial intelligence industry is out of control, that it's rushing ahead too quickly without paying sufficient attention to the dangers, that we need to control the direction and the scope and the power of AI before it becomes so powerful that it controls us. When we hear all this, we also have to bear in mind that what we are really what witnessing is a kind of rerun of the historical enmity between people whose gods were beloved of them against the gods of the others and the view that what we really want is to know what your gods are capable of doing and to make sure that our gods are capable of doing more. In other words, notwithstanding the talk of international cooperation over AI, the reality is that everybody will talk about cooperating and circumscribing and being responsible and scrutinising every new AI that comes along to make sure that it's safe. Everybody will agree to do that, but nobody will in fact do it because everybody will want their AIs to be more powerful than everybody else's AIs. So the agreement around the table, whether it be at Bletchley under Sunak's chairmanship or anywhere else, the agreement around the table will always be, yes, let's be responsible. But at the same time, <clears throat> everybody will be doing their best not only to get ahead of the others, but to develop their AI as fast as they can. On the well-known, and, and I regret to say, undeniable principle that if we don't, somebody else will. So just to put in as a footnote here, were we to decide that we weren't going to develop AI at all, all that would do would make us pray to everybody else who would. And if that isn't nations, although it will be, It'll certainly be the criminal fraternity. It'll certainly be people who want to break into our bank accounts, our military establishments, and everything else imaginable using AI in order to gain the whip hand, because that's the way human beings behave, regrettably. And it doesn't matter whether we say we have an agreement with China, we have an agreement with Russia, we have an agreement with America, the, United, the European Union, or anybody else in India. It doesn't matter. In the end, all we're going to do is to push ahead as fast as we can and try to persuade others not to. You may think that's very cynical of me. I think it's just realism. So, something like the Bletchley Conference, hastily convened, will have been a conference at which people were as much trying to size up where everybody else was and whether they were, in fact, as far ahead of the game as they thought they were, as it will have been a conference about trying to limit the scope and the risks associated with AI. And that wouldn't be so dissimilar from an interfaith conference where people are all trying to say that they want to be friends together while at the same time weighing up whether their God is more powerful than your God, and so on and so on. So how do we, how do we deal with this? What, what's the way forward? What's the reality? 
Well, the reality is that AI is not going back in the box. The genie's not going back in the bottle. If I and many others like me can download artificial intelligence engines onto my local laptop that do not require even an internet connection, they're admittedly pretty noddy versions, but if I can do that, you can bet your life that every country in the world has got massive data set, data centres and servers and all sorts of other things, and it's using them to build the biggest AIs they can possibly build. And yes, of course, it wants to be in control of it, or they do, but more than that, they want them to be in control of everybody else's AI and what they're doing, because otherwise it just becomes mutually assured destruction of the kind that we had in the nuclear arms race and still, of course, have, thanks to the likes of Putin and his allies. So, AI will get stronger and stronger. It may not do it in the open AI, I mean, don't mean the company, but in the open source world, it may not become more and more powerful there because it's very likely that the covert world or the closed world of AI where they don't have open source, where they are developing military and other things, financial things, political things, things that control social media, media scrutinise it, try to manipulate populations through it, as happens in elections. All of this is now being done in spades everywhere. And don't let anybody pretend otherwise, however many communiques and however much agreement there may be as a result of something like a Bletchley Park conference. So AI will get stronger and there will be a race between those in the position to do it the best, the quickest, in the most clever way. And that race, just as with nuclear weapons, has no obvious point at which anybody is going to say enough is enough. We haven't... The nuclear parallel is very interesting because although we have had an uneasy peace... For the whole of my lifetime, in terms of world war, for the first half of my life, really until the dissolution of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s, 91 and 92, until then, I lived my whole life under the cloud of the threat of nuclear annihilation, of mutually assured destruction. I can't say I lost much sleep over it, because it didn't seem to me that there was very much point in losing sleep over it, but it was certainly a background reality. And although it doesn't happen very much now, it certainly happened then that we had things like the ban the bomb marches, people camping around the Greenham Common where the cruise missiles were launched, people like Bertrand Russell taking a leading role in trying to say that these nuclear weapons would be the destruction of the world. And so we ended up with a very tightly controlled cabal of nations with nuclear weapons and we had a slightly more secretive world of nations who probably had nuclear weapons but who didn't admit it and then probably an even darker world 
of people who thought they had nuclear weapons but never tried them out and so didn't quite know whether they'd work or not, amongst whom we would have to have North Korea and Iran in the modern world. So we do have a world in which there is a very, very uneasy tension, but a peace on the heels of that tension between those with nuclear arsenals and those without them. Now, why do I say all that? Well, I say it because it's very likely that the AI world will evolve in much the same way. Somebody sooner or later, and I suspect that it's probably sooner rather than later, is going to produce an AI that is so powerful, so capable of effectively doing anything, that it will represent, in some form or other, what's called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. And let me just say a little bit about that, because I think it's important to be clear what it is and what it isn't. Under normal circumstances, and I am now repeating things I've said before, but I'm sure that there'll be people picking this up without having listened to the other 420-odd episodes. Under normal circumstances, an AI is trained with something fairly specific in mind. They began, as some of you will know, identifying handwriting or being able to identify the species of an animal in a photograph. And then they got onto facial recognition and now they can describe images, they can respond to conversations, they can translate text. And all, all of these are very specific things that AIs can do and they're trained to do them with training data and verification data and systems and methods that are specifically intended for those purposes. So an AI that's very good at facial recognition or at image description or at generating text is probably not going to be that good at many of the other things that AIs could do. And there are two reasons for this. One of them is that it hasn't been trained on it. And the other is that the what you might call the cognitive structures necessary to achieve these things are different. And therefore you need a different architecture. The neural net needs a different architecture if it's going to be working on images, visual images, from that it needs when it's working on something like text. But... That being so, we have still seen a remarkable convergence of the two so that we now find that the same engines that can decipher text, transcribe text from audio into words or from words into audio, that can look at an image, look as a metaphor and tell you what's in it without any clues whatsoever, all of this is now possible and all of these engines, these models, as I should really call them, all these AI models are essentially converging so that the same model can do many, many things. And these models needn't be very large either. The latest version of OpenAI's GPT, GPT-1106 Preview, Turbo, whatever you want to call it, which will certainly be followed before very long by GPT-5, now that Altman is back at OpenAI, and OpenAI-5 will almost certainly be able to do images 
and text and talk and listen and produce text the way we can and probably write music as well, that will come as close as we've got yet to an AI that can essentially do anything. What's this got to do with all the gods of the heathen, they are but idols? Well, for just the point that I was making in the previous episode, episode 13 of series 11, when you've got a race between nations who, for all that they're pretending otherwise, are working on AI as hard as they can, as fast as they can, either to catch up or to stay ahead or whatever you like, simply for the very simple reason that they know that if they don't, they will make themselves vulnerable to attacks from other people. For every hacker, there is a counter-hacker. For every hacker, there is a Norton antivirus or McAfee or whatever it might be, or the, or the industrial-scale things that we're no doubt using or I hope we're using. I'm sure that somebody knows somewhere. If somebody knows everything, then they must. You know what I'm thinking there. Probably not, but never mind. We hope that somebody's protecting all our data against these attacking uh, bots and denial of service attacks and all that sort of stuff. We hope that that's all going on. It probably isn't because of the cock-up theory of history, which I've been talking about in the last episode. But we will want our AIs to be better than everybody else's and therefore we will develop them to the limits that we can and therefore we will come to the point where we begin to consider granting them the, the right to scrutinise what we are doing. We grant them the right to know everything there is to know about everything that there is to know. Because... We like the feeling, we're ambivalent about it, I'll come back to that, we like the feeling that somebody has got our back. We like the idea that somebody is watching over us. And we always have. And that watching over us figure is either a god or gods or maybe a group of politicians or maybe a cabal of brilliant intellectuals who live in some back room somewhere and really are running the show, if only we knew who they were, except that they don't exist either, or some transnational organisation like Spectre or the United Nations or the CIA or whoever it might be, who really do have everything taped, really can sit in Langley and watch what's going on in a Thai bazaar, bizarre, not bazaar, not b- <laughs> a Thai bazaar. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. I'll edit that bit out. Uh, with the greatest of impunity and, and launch their assets hither and yon, as happens in the Bourne pictures. Well, maybe, but I think that the reality is probably much more mundane and much more fallible. But Lee, be that as it may we will be tempted to grant these AIs access to virtually everything in order, this will be the story anyway, to protect us against other people who would otherwise get that information and use it 
to our disadvantage. So, just as with the mutually assured destruction that came from nuclear weapons, we will have a kind of mutually assured destruction that will come from artificial intelligence, not conceived just in terms of military weapons, but in terms of cultural, sociological, financial, intellectual weapons that will control everything and know everything. And the question will be, how happy are we? Well, I said I'd come back to one point. And the point that I didn't mention really in the last episode, but I will now mention at the end of this one, is the whole question of ambivalence. We don't want everybody, all the secrets that everybody has, to be known to anyone. But at the same time, we are comforted by the thought that somebody knows everything about everything. And this is the ambivalence that we have always felt about God and the gods, and indeed about political systems, and indeed about the state, and indeed about the church. That we want the reassurance that somebody's in control. We want to feel that somebody is watching over us, someone to watch over me and all that nonsense. We want somebody to watch over us, but at the same time, we want to have our secrets. We want to live our independent lives. We want to be aware of or able to grasp something that other people don't have control over. And that ambivalence is as old as existence because it has always been the case that wherever there are gods, there are people prepared to defy the gods and therefore there are the gods' punishments that will be meted out to those who defy them and therefore there will be the people who will do their best to avoid those punishments or suffer from them or whatever it might be. And this same story of the ambivalence that we feel about a God who knows everything and can control everything over against an individual that wants the freedom to do something for themselves that that God cannot control or cannot foresee or might only be able to respond to after the event so that we can do it and suffer the consequences if if we want, but we can't be prevented from doing it, all of this is still present. All of this will still be present in life under very, very powerful, intelligent, generally intelligent AIs. So it's just the next chapter, the whole Artificial general intelligence thing is just the next chapter in a history that goes back to the beginning of time and it will not be markedly different. But the difference in as much as there is a difference will probably be that it will come upon us far more quickly. The evolution of religions takes centuries, even millennia. The evolution of artificial general intelligence, I suspect, is no older than I am and will be here, if I'm spared, before I'm gone. And that means that it'll be about 80 years, the whole thing, from beginning to end. And with that thought, I will leave you. Thank you for listening.